The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. This morning, um, as, as already stated, we are continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn there uh, with me uh, to 7, and we're going to be uh, continuing on where uh, we left off this last week. Um, now, at the get-go, before we walk into this... Um, I want to say this humbly, don't take me at my word at anything that I have to say. Um, I'm, I'm sure your pastor's told you this before too. Don't just take me at my word as another man. Go to the scriptures yourselves. Um, be like the Bereans that we see in Acts. Test everything by the living word of God, right? Because it is infallible, it is trustworthy, and it speaks to all aspects of life. And so I just want to say that this morning. The overarching theme this morning, we're going to be in 7 verses 17 through 24. And the overarching theme this morning is contentment in Christ. Um, and the way that this really plays out, and we see it in the text, talks in ma- three main areas. And so we're going to, um, well, one main area that affects us in three specific ways. And so we're going to look at that here in uh, just a second. But it, overarching all of that is contentment in Christ. And our bottom line that we will get to later this morning, um, at the end of uh, this, this talk this morning, is that Christians live in their calling by obeying Christ's commands and enjoying him. Christians live in their calling by obeying Christ's commands and enjoying him. And so would you join me in prayer before we jump into the text this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning, the fact that you gave us the breath in our lungs and you brought us here. Lord, it is beautiful, um, a beautiful gift of your mercy. Father, I'm humbled to be here as a man that is um, messed up, um, but saved by your grace, um, that you would use somebody as me. Um, Lord, I am not worthy of this, but you've called me to it. And so I'm humbled, Father, and I just pray that you would use me as you see fit this morning. I'm just your vessel. And Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that as we dig into the word, you would do your ministry of convicting us and encouraging us and challenging us and and growing us through the reading of your word. We trust that when we read scripture, you are speaking to us. And so would you be with us this morning, speak to our hearts, do surgery in us, so that we may be more like Christ and love him more. We pray this in Jesus' name that is above every other name. Amen. Amen. So would you read with me 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calls already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. (laughs) Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. 
with God. Christ called us. First and foremost, first point this morning is that Christ called us, and we're going to be um, looking at verses 17, 20, and 24. Um, now, I'm, as I'm sure you left off at 17 last week, Paul starts talking about a calling. Now, with that, we have to start to actually think about what kind of calling Paul is talking about, what that means, what he's trying to say here. Um, because very often, um, we have different ways of looking at a calling than what he may have actually been saying here in the context of the, to the Corinthian church. But often when we say calling, we're actually talking about a vocation. I feel called to be a lawyer. Um, I feel called to be a homemaker. I feel called to be a teacher. I feel called to be fill in the blank. Um, we can very often talk about that. And there's an underlying assumption when we, when we talk about it is that it, it, it makes a claim at our identity. Um, it makes a claim at our purpose in life. And so, is that what Paul is talking about here? And I would actually beg from the text that he does touch on that. And in, in application, the text does speak to that, but that's not all that he's saying here. You're missing the point if that's, if that's what we deduce that is actually saying. What he is really talking about here is something altogether different. Let's look at verses 17, 20, and 24. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or her and to which God has called him or her. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. In this paragraph of verses, Paul uses the word call, called, or calling nine times. Eight out of those nine times, he's not talking about vocation. Eight of those nine times, he's not talking about it. Only in verse 20 is calling used in the sense of a vocation. Um, and he definitely is touching on that and talking to that here, um, which has some massive applications for us here today. But at the same token, what he wants you to understand is that you must... To understand the vocation and the calling that the Lord may have on you where he has you right now, you have to understand the true calling that the Lord has on your life. And that is first and foremost, um, what he is talking about here eight out of the nine times is the divine call of God pulling one into fellowship with Christ. The divine call of God pulling one into fellowship with Christ. The power of God converting the soul through the gospel, through his spirit. Paul is, is mainly talking about um, a, a unique call that we have as believers. That's another thing we have to distinctify because we look through Scripture, there's a lot of calling, correct? This is different from the general call to repent and believe that goes out that we see in the Gospels. Repent and believe that Jesus is the Son, right? We know that not everybody that hears the Gospel repents and believes. We wish that they would. We don't know who God has chosen. We preach to all men, but ultimately God has chosen specific people, right? He has his elect. And so it's different, what, he's, what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the call, it's, very, it's unique from the general call to repent and believe. And it also is unique and different from the calling of vocation. Paul here is referring to the calling that is the power and the wisdom of God. The power and the wisdom of God. And we know that not just all who hear the preaching of the gospel um, will, will turn and repent and believe, right? But those who receive it as wisdom is who he is talking to here. If we go back to chapter 1, 
in this very same letter, chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Hope they're okay. Verses 23 through 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's referencing back here to this specific calling, those that are called, those that are chosen, that God specifically calls unto salvation, the elect, the chosen. And so what is Paul trying to get at here? He's saying, like, Christ has called us, live in your calling, and we'll see how this really fleshes out in a couple different areas. But what he's really trying to get at here is, before you talk about anything else, and you, you, before you think about the vocation that you're in, or before you think about, you know, the general call to repent, think about the true calling that you have, that you have experienced, and is radically, it has changed you. The specific call that only God can bring about, the call to salvation, right? The calling, drawing us into himself. And so what Paul here is saying, remain in the state you were in when you were converted, when you were drawn by God into a believing, loving fellowship with Christ. Remain in that call. Remain in the call that you have in believing in a loving fellowship with Christ. And so this morning, we must, we must wrestle and, and we must realize before we talk about the two other things that we're going to talk about in the text this morning that it really addresses, we are first and foremost called to live within the calling that God has given to us. I know that kind of, what are you talking about there? God has called us as his chosen people. We live in that as our identity and as our purpose. Before we go into anything else, before our vocation, before whatever, you know, distinctive we may live within in the culture, we must remember always where our identity and our true calling is laid in, and that is in Christ calling us to salvation. We are his chosen we live in that. Christ called us. That is the main call in our life. Then, call, then Paul continues, and he goes into some practical applications for the church in Corinth. Remember, where he's writing to a specific church in a specific city that was all kinds of messed up, right, like us. Um, and, and so he goes on to talk about this here in verses 18 and 20, and uh, what he's talking about here is Christ, our identity, and his commands, our priority. Christ, our identity, and his commands, our priority. Here, Paul holds no punches. Um, he generally doesn't, um, but specifically here, he definitely doesn't hold any punches, and he proceeds in dealing not with vocation. Remember, he's operating out of our true calling, that is, as God's chosen people, and then he's going to bring this into some practical applications in the way in which we go here. Now, he's not talking about specifically vo vocation here, but cultural implications of what this means, cultural implications of Christ says our identity and his commands are priority. Verses 18 through 20. This is where, like, thanks, Jacob, of all the passages. I mean, seven's not a super easy chapter, but this one, come on. No, I'm just kidding. It's great. Um, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. 
Paul here says, however one was converted, we're not to try and be like or better than another person who was converted. And so remember the context where we are in, in, in Corinth. There's some Jewish Christians. There's some um, Gentile Christians. There's just, it's this culminating melting pot of all different kinds of cultures and religions and backgrounds and all different kinds of like demographics. It's just, it's a melting pot. And what he's saying here is there's no real distinction between that. And how does he go about that? As a Jew himself, he talks to the Jews and the Gentiles of one of the main distinguishing factors and differences between a Jew and a non-Jew and a Gentile, right? And he's talking about the super fun subject of circumcision. Um, Now, what Paul says here is probably the, if not the most, one of the most offensive things that he could say to a Jew. And that is that your circumcision is nothing. (laughs) That's bold. That's extremely bold to say to a Jew. And and, and I I think Paul would have probably been ravaged if he wasn't a Jew himself. But I mean, then again, you never know. Um, And so what he's talking about here is he's calling them, your circumcision matters as nothing. In this time frame, in the, Roman, uh, in the Roman Empire and all these different things, it was, it was known, and we, I mean, we still see this culturally like it's an idea in our mind and we think about it, like the Jews were set apart and we knew that they were circumcised. And it was a sign that was given to them by God to set them apart from the other people of the world. And so in Roman law, like in Roman time, like it wasn't really just a specifically a Jewish thing, but they knew that that was an indicator and a very special thing to the Jewish people. And what Paul is doing here is he's taking this main distinguisher, this thing that God used as a sign to set apart his people in the Old Testament, right? To set apart his people, and he's saying, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's massively offensive. And the reason that he is doing this is because he's drawing them, hey, that exterior sign of showing what makes you different doesn't matter a hill of beans. What really matters is keeping God's commandments. Obeying God's commandments is everything. Is everything. It doesn't matter your cultural distinction. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what it is. Are you going to obey the Lord and what he says? And in his commandments, right? And we're going to talk about how that culminates. But if we understand the broad cultural application of this, it offends all of us in some way or another. It will offend all of us in one way or another. What he's saying here, um, or what we would say normally today in, in, our, in our massive diversity, right, which is a beautiful thing, it really is, but it's not if we don't understand it through the right application and lenses. Today we say white is beautiful, black is beautiful, yellow is beautiful, red is beautiful. Like, they're all beautiful, right? So don't try to change, don't try to switch cultures. Like, they're all unique and beautiful in their own way. What Paul is saying here is it's very different than that. Um, he's, he's not, he's not going to draw a blanket, but what Paul is saying here is white is nothing, black is nothing, yellow is nothing, red is nothing. Don't try to switch cultures. That doesn't matter. In the end of the day, there are those distinctions, there are those differences, there are realities, and we live in them and we respect them. However, at the end of the day, it does not matter a hill of beans, really. And this is offensive to us, especially in the culture that we find ourselves in today. And what Paul was doing here was being radically God-oriented, radically God-oriented. Instead, keep God's 
Keeping God's commandments is everything. Stay where you are and obey God. The cultural distinction that you have or what, what may differentiate you from somebody else doesn't really matter. What matters is obeying the Lord, enjoying Him, and, and, and obeying His commandments. He's being radically God-oriented, and basically what he is saying here is everything falls before the priority of God. God is everything. The fact that God has called us, the fact that God is with us is everything, and that should draw us into constantly not thinking about our cultural distinctions and not thinking about, you know, our identity with who we may be in as a group of people, but our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone, and because of that, his commandments are our everything because we love him and we want to please him. And that's beautiful. And we have, to, we have to see this, even though it's uncomfortable and it may start some wars, um, uh, hopefully not, but it may start some dis- disagreements. We have to understand this if we aren't to fall into old, style le- old styles of legalism or even new styles of legalism. What does this look like? Old style legalism. You must be circumcised to be saved or you must be white to be approved. New style legalism. You can't be circumcised to be saved. You can't be white if you want to be accepted. These are two polarly different types of legalism, and they're both wrong. Now, clarification, Paul is not making a blatant statement of saying that cultural distinctives and different demographics and different um, cultural, like, ethnicities and different things that they're bad and that they're just, you know, completely do away with them. No, that's not what he's saying here. He, remember, back in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, he actually has Timothy, who was a Gentile, came be, be a preacher and actually had Timothy circumcised to be, you know, to all men what they are so that you may present the gospel to them, right? Like, there, there are applications and there are instances where that is redeemable and it's okay, but what he is saying here is he's being offensive in this way and being this strong because what he wants you to realize is that over everything, over those cultural distinctives, over all these differences, what really matters is obedience to God's commands. Being obedient to your Savior who gave his life for you. What is that? How does that culminate? In other words, don't make a big deal if you are circumcised or uncircumcised. Don't make a big deal if you're a white or black, but instead, love your brother or sister, love others, and make obedience to God a big deal. Make obedience to God a big deal. Make it the whole aim of your life to obey his moral law. Make it your whole aim. Because if we, we look to, to find our enjoyment in Christ and our identity in him, it makes, makes us look at each other differently as as people that are just made in God's image, that they're no different than us other than they may have the, the light of the gospel and been called by the Lord, or they may not, and we may, we, we're, we're to be his messengers of grace, right? This is where the culmination of the law and being obedient to Christ's commands and being obedient um, to the Lord culminates in what we saw Jesus in the gospels talking about, right? Love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole body, your whole soul, and also culminating in love your neighbor as yourself. Only when we get this can then we actually look at cultural distinctives and different um, backgrounds as beautiful and redeemable. Only when we, we make it secondary and look at as first and foremost, I am either with Christ or I am against Christ. And then everything else falls under that. And I can see the redeemable, beautiful qualities of those things in light of 
me being in Christ. That's, that's where we have unity. That's, that's, that's what I love about what Paul's doing here is he's, he's drawing this and saying, Christ is what matters most. <laughs> and if you don't get that, you're going to have all kinds of dysfunction. Stop causing these divisions. Come together under obedience to your Savior and making him the enjoyment of your entire life. And in doing so, there will be unity and purpose together as his church. Then Paul talks. He, he draws us in a little bit more in verses 21 through 24. And, he, and, he, and really this is what this is talking about is Christ bought us and is with us, right? He called us. He is our identity. His commandments are our priority. And then finally, Christ bought us. Our identity is in him, and his commands are our priority, and he called us, and in calling us, he bought us with his blood. And, in, and because of that, he is with us. Now, what I want to talk about before we get into 21 and 24 um, is this, um, this passage specifically, as well as um, a good, good amount of portions in the Old Testament, um, have often been used to say that the Bible supports slavery, and therefore, because the Bible supports it, it's irrelevant for today. Um, the problem with this, though, um, and I, I want to say this as humbly and as lovingly as possible, um, the only reason that somebody can make this claim is because of a lack of understanding and the difference of what's actually going on here and what the Bible is actually talking about when it talks about bond servants and slaves. The term bond servant or slave, depending on your translation that you have, is, uh, is referring to something very different than what we know from the institution of slavery that we see, we've seen in our own country here in North America. Very, very different. And I want you to know the Bible does not support what we saw here in our own country with slavery at all, period. Sorry, there's no argument to be made for that at all. Bond servants slash slaves here that we see in Scripture often worked to pay for, or sorry, worked for pay. They were paid for their services, and the reason for doing that was because they were probably in debt for something, and so they would get paid, and they would save enough, and then they would buy their freedom. They had the opportunity to buy their freedom from their master. And, and the crazy thing is, it's so, this is how you can know it's true, truly different, too. Um, often, the bondservant and the slave, once they bought their freedom, they would continue to work for their master <laughs> because it was actually very different. It was actually a good way of life, and, and what we saw in our own country was not a good way of life. And we can know this also because often these bond servants slash slaves by their masters were, were trusted with immense amounts of money and responsibilities in their households. And so it's very different from what we see and what we've seen in our, or sorry, not see, but we've seen in our culture. And so I just want to be clear before we walk through this and we talk about the bond servant and the slave, that in the Bible... If we were to, sorry, just to be clear, we cannot look at slavery in the Bible and compare it to what we saw here in our own country. Because to do so would be a very dishonest claim because it's very, very different from what was actually going on in Scripture to what was here in our country. What we had here in our country was abominable, it was terrible, and it was not at all, like, supported by Scripture. But what's going on here is very, very different. And so that's why there's redeemable qualities and why Paul will talk in the way in which he talks. And so let us, uh, let's read 21 through 24 together and compare the difference between the freed man, the one who's free, and the one who is the bondservant. 21 through 24. Let me know if I'm going a little long. 
Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, then let him remain with God. Here we see the application talking about vocation in some instances. He compares the freedman, which lawyer, tax collector, teacher, whatever it may be, freedman, right? There's that vocation. And then there's the vocation of bondservant. He's drawing these two because there's a lowly position and a highly position in man's view. And what he's doing here is he's, he's comparing and contrasting these. And this is where uh, we go to verse uh, 21, and it seems kind of odd to us, doesn't it? Um, were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. That seems odd, right? And this is why people are like, are you kidding me? It supports slavery. No, 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 no. Look at the context. Look what's actually going on. Understand your history. And then, then come back and talk, all right? Um, but were you a bond everyone called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Why should the person not be concerned about this? Why should this person not be concerned about this? It's a lowly position. It's a bond servant. Why would anyone want to stay in that position. What Paul is doing here is he's calling these people in the Corinthian church as well as us to a higher perspective of understanding of vocation. The bond servant is free in Christ, and the free man is a bond servant in Christ. He draws this, this, this uh, comparison here, which, which confuses most of us. And what he's saying here is to the slave, the bondservant, or the freedman, do not let that be your, your meaning of pride or your meaning for despair. Your vocation should not be the reason you're in despair or the reason you have pride and you're, you're fulfilled in your purpose. Don't, don't let that be the case. And this is where we see the crucial phrase at the very end of, of verse 24, which is really what we've been culminating all this morning, what Paul's really trying to get at. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, you were called unto the Lord. You have a relationship with him, and then secondarily, your vocation. There let him remain with God. There let him remain with God. Key two words, with God. Wherever you are, if you are called into a saving relationship with Jesus, he's with you there. No matter how horrible it feels, no matter how terrible it may seem and people may laugh at you for what you do, who cares what man may think? The Lord is there with you, and you are with him. And so the question is not really, how does my position or my vocation look in the light of other people? But rather, am I being encouraged and humbled by God's presence where he has me? Am I being encouraged and humbled by God's presence? Whatever the vocation may be, we, can we live in light of our calling in the Lord? Can we live in light of the gospel and use that and see how the Lord could use us where he has us right now, not by accident at all, where he has us for his purposes? Can he redeem it? And can we be okay with that? Can we see wherever we might be right now as a tool in the Lord's hands? This is hard for all of us. <laughs> the grass is always greener. 
there's that next opportunity, right? There's that next breakthrough. I can feel it coming, right? Like one of the, one of these songs that's new and out. Um, but what I'd rather say is rather than looking for the next breakthrough and what Paul is really talking about here is can we see the Lord using where he has us right now for his glory and for our sanctification? Can we see the Lord using us where he has us right now? Not by accident, you're where you're at. And can he use that for his glory, which is preeminent, most important, and then secondary for your growth, your sanctification in following the Lord? Now, two two disclaimer. <laughs> um, there's some, some things that I, I have to mention that can't be redeemed. Like, for instance, in the, in the Corinthian context, um, there was the uh, temple of Aphrodite, right? And there were some people who their priests and their jobs were to be cult, like prostitutes for that and help people worship their God. Probably not a redeemable vocation. <laughs> um, I think I'm safe in saying that. And so, um, if you're in that vocation, yeah, Paul would say, yeah, you probably should go and honor the Lord somewhere else. Or if you were in, an, uh, in, a, in a vocation where you're taking advantage of people for money or, or in whatever their context was, that's not redeemable. The Lord would not want you to stay in that. He'd want to bring you to another vocation, right? So there are some instances, and those still apply to us today, where it's not redeemable. Um, and so if we find ourselves in one of those Talk to your pastor and be like, I don't know what's going on. I, I, need, I need to get out of here. Um, and, and the Lord can, can bring about that, right? And so, but if it's not one of those instances, whatever I do for a living, wherever I am right now, whether it's a mom at home, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a car salesman, whether it's a janitor, whether it's a fill in the blank. Can I let the Lord, and really not even let him, but really in my mind get to the point where I'm like, okay, he can use this vocation that he has me in right now for one, his glory, even though man may look at that as lowly, he can use it for his glory and then for my sanctification and my growth. And I would say amen, yes, he can in every single instance of that, every single possibility. And so... Your recognize that your job is your ministerial assignment, just as mine is, just as mine is, just as Jacob's is. Your job that the Lord has you in right now is your ministerial assignment. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Share the gospel with them when given the opportunity. And realize that the Lord's getting glory through that, and he's bringing about growth and maturity in you. And so if you are a born-again Christian... Rest and find comfort in the fact and boldness in the fact that you have been chosen by the God of the universe and he has called you unto salvation. He has called you unto salvation. In light of this, we, be, we obey his commands and enjoy his presence in the midst of where he has us now. And so again, bottom line this morning is Christians live in their calling by obeying Christ's commands and enjoying him. Christians live in their calling by obeying Christ's commands and enjoying him. And what I'd like to do at this point is I'd like us all to bow our heads and close our eyes before I pray, um, and then we continue on with the service. But I really want a moment of reflection for every single one of us, except for me. I'm reading. So, but this morning, wherever the Lord has you right now, trust him in the midst of it. He has you and is with you. He is sovereign. That's specific, like he has you where he has you right now, not by chance, but by divine assignment. 
So don't be driven from one fear or despair because of your place maybe seem lowly in the, in the realm of man's thoughts or prideful in the fact that you're wealthy and that you're, you're esteemed by man's thoughts. Don't, don't see that. But rather say, never mind. You're not my life. My life is to obey God and enjoy his presence. Father, thank you for, again for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be here with the extended family at, at King's Cross and to be able to enjoy worshiping you with them. Lord, it's humbling and it's an honor. Lord, I pray this morning that we would live in, in the light of our true calling as your chosen children. That we would live in light of that and then we would look let that be the lens that we look at our cultural distinctives and our vocation through, that you have us where you have us, and it's not by accident, but first and foremost, we are to obey you and to enjoy you because we are with you, God. Holy Spirit, would this sink into our hearts? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? And I thank you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.